Hello folks, Matthew Garnett here. We have a guest with us this week, Cameron Riley, who is the host, writer, producer of Marketing in the Side. We've been reviewing that documentary from Amazon Prime, and Cameron contacted us through uh, YouTube, and we got him on the program, and we're, we have a discussion about uh, that documentary here for you today. But before we get to all that, let me remind you to go to laymanstermsradio.org, donate to the Men of Steel Project. Again, we've got the uh, business proposal in the works for, for that program, and uh, uh, work, working on that, refining it, getting it going. And so what you're donating to now is, is the guys that are going to be participating in this program. So, I mean, ultimately we're ho- hopefully going to get a big fat donor that'll just take care of most of this for us. Uh, but you can contribute to the men of steel project. Uh, we, we need all the help we can get as always, and we appreciate you doing it. And we're looking forward to getting this going for, for guys who have uh, been in jail, been in prison, coming out, looking for a, a fresh start in life. And also extending that out to underprivileged young men. As you probably know, if you watch the news at all, you know truck drivers are a hot commodity right now. And we think we can uh, parlay that sort of thing into uh, an an advantage for for guys who might have messed up in life or want a second chance or or want to start a great career. So we're on track to do that. Please continue to donate at laymanstermsradio.org, and we appreciate it. All right, so... Uh, we did our critique of Marketing the Messiah the past three, several episodes, and Cameron Riley, who created uh, Marketing the Messiah, contacted us and left a comment on one of uh, the YouTube videos, and we, we went from there. I thought we had a great discussion. It was very amicable. It was, you know, uh, it was, didn't get heated necessarily, but it was, you know, it was a good, good back and forth with, with different points, and, and I hope that it will be something that will be useful to you in, in understanding, you know, what, what's what's going on and how to understand these things, how to approach them. A couple of things for us as Christians that I would point out, first of all, is one thing the film did get right, I believe, is that a great majority of Christians, especially in America and the West, don't know their Bibles very well. Cameron knows his Bible pretty well. Now, the way he understands it, we disagree, obviously, you're going to see that. But he knows his Bible, and he reads it, and he studies it, and he studies Christian history. And these are things that, that Christians are kind of bereft of in a lot of ways. So let me just say that a lot of what I did in this exchange was straight from Holy Scripture. I did, I knew what the text said, and I was able to uh, dialogue intelligently with someone maybe who is at least up to snuff with me as far as you know training and that sort of thing. I mean, it's been a while since I've went, went back and reviewed this history, but this is something he's passionate about. He does documentaries about it. He's a professional podcaster, and he's always studying history, and, he's, and he does um, full long-form podcasts on this sort of thing. And, you know, we, we, we talked about that a little bit, you know, to just kind of break the ice when we, before we really went live. And, um, well, and you, actually, we did talk about you know, some Christian history on the live version. There is the full, and if you want to see the full interview, it's already up on YouTube. You can go check it out. And we did talk about that sort of thing. And he's very conversant in these things. He, he knows of the major events and so on and so forth. But that's, you know, that's really not where my questions were. My questions were with how he was understanding Holy Scripture and that sort of thing. And so the point is, um, if you don't know your Bible very well and you're a Christian, that should be a problem to you. Uh, in fact, the scripture is pretty clear that uh, if, if you're not treasuring and and uh, 
inwardly taking and digesting God's word, then you're, you're in sin. And you should repent of that sin and start studying your Bible. Get on, get on some sort of regimen. You know, read the Bible in your program. Again, what I do since I drive trucks is I, I listen to it on audio. That doesn't mean I don't sit down and, and read my Bible. I do that as well, which is that that was the really great part of this interview, I thought, was that we both opened Holy Scripture and we're looking at it and discussing it, reading it. You'll hear pauses, us turning pages and that sort of thing. And I thought that that was the, the best part of it was that we were going right to Holy Scripture, looking at it, seeing what it said, and then than trying to analyze it from there. Anyway, read your Bible, people. <laughs> don't be one of those Christians who don't don't know their scriptures. Um, that's that's not good. Anyway, not time to get get a little here. Cameron was very generous with his time, gave us a couple hours, so we're going to have a couple of good podcasts here coming up. One this week and one next, and let's get right to it. Hey, right. I've, I've got, got Cameron, Cameron Riley, Riley, host of the. the Amazon, Amazon Prime, Prime Video, Video documentary, documentary, Marketing, Marketing the, the Messiah. Messiah. Creator as well. You you were part of the creative team on this as well, Cameron? Writer-director. Writer-director. There you go. Producer. All right. Mm. Yep. Yep. I kind of perused your credentials there on, on Facebook. I, I got to admit, I am a little jealous because I do this media stuff wishing I could do it full time. But man, you... You all that uh, actually do it full time, I know it is a trying to get funding is always interesting and so on and so forth. So we uh, came across each other on YouTube. I I did part of the critique part of the documentary on the podcast, on my podcast, and you commented on it on on YouTube. And I said, "Hey, let's get together and talk," and you said, "Yes." So here you are, and I very much appreciate. Here I am. Um, Appreciate you being here for this. I think uh, I think my folks. It'll be good for my folks to see this as well. Um, just to, it, it's it's always always helpful to to dialogue like this. So, what I'd like to know from you first of all is, how did you get from whatever you were raised as? You know, you kind of in a nutshell to um, where you are now. So, for instance, I wasn't really raised with any type of religion i was i mean we were we live in america so it's just roughly christian but we never really were that devoted to anything it wasn't until college that i got uh that i got saved and baptized and then i decided that i wanted to be a pastor so that's what i did i went to bible college and to seminary at uh, dallas theological seminary and and was a pastor for mm, Nah, 10 years or so, roughly, counting, counting all the internships and everything. You throw that in, and I got, uh, then at a certain point in time, I, I just became very disillusioned with, with the faith and struggled with some of the stuff you guys mentioned in the film, honestly, just some of, some of the things that didn't seem to make sense, to, didn't jive. I didn't really know my, what my role was in the whole thing. wasn't making a lot of sense to me, so... So I, I bailed on all that. I went and joined, uh, I grew up playing drums. So I was like, well, I've got to try to figure out how to make some money. So I went and joined uh, a local classic rock band that was working. <clears throat> um, I uh, met the woman who is now my wife through that. And, uh, and we, uh, we had all kinds of adventures, inclu- you know, including me going to another seminary, uh, thinking, okay, well, you know, the conservative evangelical thing 
didn't make any sense to me or didn't. Well, there were certain key aspects of it that just weren't making sense. And so I thought, well, you know, I still am interested in the Bible and religion and Christianity in particular. So I thought, well, maybe I'll try to be more, uh, I'll go to another seminary and be a mainstream pastor. So I went to the Claremont School of Theology and studied there and I committed myself to it. I thought, well, if I'm really going to do this, uh, let's do it. I'm going to go atheist. I mean, my, my, all my professors there, generally speaking, were, were atheists. Um, they would, you know, self, self-described atheists. Um, some of them would say, yes, they believe in, in God, but that, you know, that Christianity was, you know, just one description of God or whatever, um, or some, some certain people's experience with it. So that's kind of, was their flavor, but we, I was in the new Testament department. So we were pretty much all of us were atheists. I wasn't, I still believed in God. So I said, well, I better get on board here. So, you know, that, that's when Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and, uh, Daniel Dennett and those guys were were hot back in the mid aughts, and so I read Dawkins' God Delusion, and thinking, okay, I'm going to get the real story on you know how to think like an atheist, and I was astonished to find that Dawkins talks you know in terms of values and what's worth pursuing and what's good and bad and everything else, and he's as dogmatic about it as any fire and brimstone Baptist preacher I ever heard. I mean, that's what it really reminded me of. It was just the flip side of the coin. He had, he had, you know, just as much conviction as any Christian would have about what, what he understood about God. He just had, you know, he just believed the opposite of, uh, really of Christianity as far as, as far as God goes, certain moral values, understandings of, of cosmology and that sort of thing. So what really hit me at that point was, you know, was my Aristotle and I took a deep dive into that and uh, because I'm thinking, okay, um, if what it means to be an atheist is I'm going to replace God in a sense with somebody like Dawkins, maybe not fully, but in a sense, I've got to have somebody to, to learn from, to teach me. Uh, I really kind of hope there's a God. So I started to panic a little bit <laughs> because now I'm on this journey to try to find out if God exists. And that's why I thought, okay, oh, I got to go back to Aristotle because he's, you know, go to that metaphysics. I think I'll have the goods there. And sure enough, and then back to, you know, back to Aquinas. I'm like, okay, okay. I think I can safely say that God exists. That's, I, I was, I was at that point. And then, you know, got back, got back. And then Nietzsche helps too. For me, in this sense, you know, especially the whole God is dead passage, you know, God is dead and we have killed him, right? And how should we wipe the blood from ourselves and all this sort of thing? Um, and, and how can, you know, can we really make up our own values, right? Uh, so this is a big, you know, existential problem for me. So I thought, okay, if God exists, then did he say anything? And if he did, where did he say it? And so on and so forth. Well, Long story short, I ended up back in the faith, in a more traditional faith. I'm now a, I'm now a stubborn German Lutheran. I wore this on purpose. <laughs> um, and um, the, the, the more traditional articulations of the faith, you know, Catholicism, Orthodox, um, even, even Catholicism, Catholicism as a Lutheran is kind of weird to say, but those, those articulations of the faith made a lot of sense to me, especially Aquinas. I mean, Aquinas is uh, my, my 
uh, Lutheran friends all think I'm, not all, but some of them think I'm nuts because I'm more committed to like Aquinas probably than Luther. So, but that's where, but that's where I landed. So I had a weird, just a weird, I don't know, a little bit weird, I think. So I was in, I was out, now I'm back in. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's really where I kind of ended up with things. And again, my fundamental problem with the whole deal was, um, really what boils down to, you know, Aquinas's moral argument for God. Who, who sets the rules? Who has the authority to say, okay, this is moral, that's not. This is right, this is wrong. Who, who gets together and gets to have that authority? And um, I was, the thing I'm happy with about being a theist is that that's in God's hands. God, God is the one that gets, and so he, get, he's, he endows us with um, certain traits, namely his image, and um, man cannot usurp that. So we, we place that, that kind of major moral authority outside of ourselves so we don't come up with, you know, so we don't come up with a situation where you've got a, a man or a group of men kind of lording their, their moral codes over others and forcing others to, uh, to live in a way that, that, you know, may not be good. So, so anyway, that's, that, that's, that's my nutshell version of, of how I came to, to be in my crazy place. And again, I've, I've got all this education, right? Well, all that education I had in a, in a, you know, $3 and 50 cents will get you a mocha latte at, at Starbucks. Right. I, the, I mean that all that education is worthless out in the real world. It's good for ministry, but I mean, ministry was over for me. It was there wasn't an opportunity for me to do it or get back into it. So I'm like, I got to make some money. So I'll go learn how to drive trucks, go drive trucks, listen to podcasts, listen to documentaries or whatever. So that's how, that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. All right. So there you go. I'll let you, uh, give me, give me your version of that. If you don't mind. <laughs> you remind me of several Catholic priest friends of mine who, um, told me their stories. Like they went into seminary when they were 16, 17, 18. This is like, these guys are in their eighties now. So this is going back into the, you know, the, 30s and 40s um and then they you know they go and they become a junior pastor or a junior priest somewhere and uh you know then during they became chaplains during the wars and this kind of stuff and then they you know they become a junior priest at a church and then they become the senior priest and then they and they said by the time they're about 40 they they kind of realized one day that they didn't believe in any of it they just sort of been swept along in it for decades <laughs> by the time they sort of woke up and realized that they didn't believe in it anymore. They're like, well, shit, now what do I do? I'm, right. uh, <laughs> I'm living in the church's house. I have no other skills. Uh, and what, what they all tend to tell me is they just go, okay, well, listen, I'll just suck it up. And, uh, you know, I have a community of people here who are relying on me. I'll just do my best to provide yeah. sucker to them and uh, uh, drink away my uh, inner conflict. Um yeah, well, my story is that, well, I, I was born in 1970. I grew up in a little country town in the state of Queensland in Australia. It's kind of our equivalent to Florida, maybe hot, humid, grew up by the beach. Uh, Australia was a very Christian place in 1970. Uh, majority of the population were uh, white European Christians, um, Mostly Protestant, but a bit of Catholic. I grew up Catholic. Uh, my uh, grandparents were Catholics. Uh, my parents were sort of lapsed Catholics, I guess. But my grandmother used to take me to church. 
I was raised uh, to a fair degree by my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with her anyway. She took me to church. I loved going to church as a kid, mostly the singing. Uh, I loved singing the hymns. Uh, went to uh, not Sunday school, but whatever the Catholics do back then, like Bible study uh, Sunday mornings before that. Didn't really uh, understand a lot of it. Was very confused. But um, there was two things that happened by the time I was about eight. Uh, one was I saw the first Star Wars film and decided that I, if I was going to believe in anything, it was going to be Jedi. And secondly, uh, I remember going to church by myself one day when I had a baby sister. She was like six months old. And I heard the priest say, we're all born sinners. And uh, I, I found that very sort of um, a very disturbing concept that this little baby I, I, I was thinking about it in context of my little sister, that this little baby could be a sinner, could be somehow evil or bad. That that idea that a baby is somehow bad really disturbed me. So um, I went home. I told my parents, I'm not going to church anymore. I think that's messed up. And they said, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, funny thing is, irony is, she's a... Um, you know, fundamentalist uh, Christian uh, these days. Uh, so wow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but it turned me away. So that was that was it for me. Then I became interested in my late teens. I became very interested in understanding the world, philosophy, religion. Um, I read the Bible over and over. I, I read you know, everything I could get my hands on, uh, Buddhism, Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, it sort of became really interested in comparative religion and philosophies, and that's sort of been the rest of my life. I've spent my life just being interested. So for the last, um, what, 17 years, I've been a professional podcaster, uh, author, filmmaker, um, most of the content that I do is history-based. I love history. I love understanding history. Uh, I've done lots of series, pod, deep, deep podcast dives, like 100-episode arcs on the, all the Caesars, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, the Cold War, the Renaissance. Um, you know, I really love going deep, deep, deep into history and trying to understand how did we get here? What, 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 what happened to get us from there to here? And obviously, Christianity, growing up in the West, Christianity is a huge part of our story, um, of the, the, the story of the last couple of thousand years of Western civilization has played a hugely significant role, not always for the good, obviously. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've always been fascinated with trying to understand the story of Christianity, how did it become a thing in the Roman Empire of all places. It's... Um, it's an astounding story. It shouldn't have happened. It did happen. And if you're an, uh, uh, an atheist historian like I am, you want to know how that happened from a historical perspective, not from a faith-based perspective. I want to understand it from a facts-based perspective. And um, so I, for decades, I've read uh, biblical scholarship, New Testament scholarship, histories, ancient biblical history stuff, Always found it fascinating. Uh, my wife, who was raised a Mormon in Utah, um, always used to laugh that uh, I, I read the Bible more than most Christian friends of hers and family um, because I, I love it. I'm fascinated by it. I love it. I, I, I really get a kick out of it. 
Um, but the thing that frustrated me over the years is when I try and have conversations about Christianity, the stuff that I was reading in the scholarship and, and in the Bible itself, um, uh, not, uh, my atheist friends weren't interested. They'd be like, oh, yuck, religion. And I try and explain, well, hold on, this is history. It's not, don't think of it as religion, think of it as history, right? You're interested in Julius Caesar. You're interested in Alexander the Great. You should be interested in this as well. It's part of history. And my Christian friends and family uh, tended to be ignorant of it as well. They weren't interested in the history of it. They're like, well, I don't really care about that. I just want to know about my scripture. You know, I just want to know about the Bible verse today or you know, this, that, they, they would cherry pick. They didn't really understand it and they weren't interested in understanding it from an historical perspective. So the idea behind the film was to go out and get a bunch of PhD New Testament scholars, Christians and non-believers, and try and get them to tell the story of how Christianity came to be a thing. Um, how the Bible was written, how Christianity came to, you know, uh, take over the Roman Empire from the perspective of mainstream uh, scholarship today. What is the consensus view of New Testament scholarship, biblical scholarship, uh, about how Christianity went from being a fringe uh, Jewish breakaway cult to a personality cult to you know, becoming the only legal religion in uh, the Roman Empire and then, you know, dominating Western civilization for the next uh, 1900 years or so. Right. So uh, that was the idea behind the film. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. Um, now, here, here's, here's the honest part uh, about, about the film. I'm not sure I got that out of that. That's what I was actually hoping for. In a sense, uh, because that, that's a question that interests me as well. Again, uh, from apart from a faith perspective, right? How how do you historically explain the phenomenon of Christianity? Uh, yeah, it's hard to say that it was just uh, you know a Jim Jones type of cult. You know that um, that well. I guess here here's another question for you on the film. Is I felt like really a theme of the of the documentary was that Christianity was created whole cloth. The version we know of today, uh, I'm trying to to make your argument back to you as best I can. The version we know of today is largely from this man named Paul who made this whole thing up and these ideas and these uh, tenets of the faith really from whole, from whole cloth. Uh, and no, well, no, no, no. That's, that's not exactly accurate. I mean, okay. Paul... There were there were there were members of the I I, I don't want to call them Christians because the, the Christianity wasn't a thing uh, pre Paul, you know it was there were still Jews and it was uh, it was as I said before it was like a, a breakaway Jewish personality cult or something we don't really know that's part of the problem, um, but you know Paul obviously uh, was trained or taught what he knew by even though he denies it even though he says in his epistles i didn't get this from any man we know that he did we know that he was a missionary that he had companions um before he went up before he had a falling out with his companions and he was pushed out and had to do his own thing um 
So we know that Paul inherited some level of knowledge from the Christians that he was first hanging out with, who he knew. Um, how much of what ended up being his theology he inherited and how much he invented himself, we really don't know because we have nothing written down that's earlier than Paul. There's there's no surviving documentation about what Peter believed, what James believed, what any of the original Christian community in Jerusalem believed, the Jesus community in, in uh, Jerusalem believed. We've got nothing, nothing written down about them, by them, by anybody from their community. So uh, all we have to go by, really, the, as we say in the film, the very the earliest Christian writings are Paul's epistles. That's what we've got. And everything that comes later, including the Gospels, is not only post-Paul, they're written by members of Paul's community. We have nothing written down, by at least in that first hundred years, by people who were not Pauline, uh, members of the Pauline community. That's all we have. Well, just because we don't have it doesn't mean it didn't exist. Sure, but we don't know what they thought. We well, have no yeah. idea. All we, we, well, all we can do is infer from what Paul says about them, which is that he didn't get along with them very well. Um, Peter and James didn't like Paul very much, is quite clear from Paul's own epistles. And it, a little a hint well, of it I would, in Acts, I would, but Acts yeah, is I'd push of, back on that. I'm not, I'm not sure where you're, where you're getting that idea that Paul didn't like Peter and James. There was a conflict between St. Peter and St. Paul because St. Peter was, you know, to use a modern term, being a poser. In other words, according to who? According according to who? According to Paul. Yes. So you're getting everything you know about Peter from Paul. Right, but you're not get but but you're get, you're doing the same thing. You're getting everything you know yeah. about Peter from Paul too. And you're saying they had this Yeah, that's they, all we're having. But you're saying he was being a poser according to Paul who didn't yes. like it. If you don't like someone, you call them names, right? Paul's calling him a poser. Well, but there was a reason for it. I mean, it's clear from the the same text we're referencing in Galatians that yeah, there, there was Antioch, a reason. The incident for that. in Antioch. Yeah, yeah, that there was, yeah, that there, there there was that conflict between. There was that conflict. That doesn't mean they hated each other. Hmm. And I'm not sure where you're getting the idea that Saint Paul and Saint James didn't get along. Well, because, well, okay. So there's a couple of things. Um, I don't say they hated each other, but they didn't get along. So I, I'd say the evidence is this. I mean, um, from Paul's epistles, he says when he finally went to Jerusalem to meet Peter and James, um, you know, basically to paraphrase, they said, "Well, uh, what are you what are around?" And I've been teaching the Gentiles, and they said, "What are you telling them?" And he said, well, I'm telling them, you know, they, they don't need to get circumcised and they don't need to follow the dietary laws of Leviticus, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Let me, and let me, they, let me, let me, let me ask you, where, where, what are you drawing from now? Are you drawing from the Acts account right now? No, you're drawing from, from the Galatians, Galatians account, Galatians 2. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Paul says he they didn't agree with him. Um, they basically had a problem with what he was teaching. Um, and, you know, he basically, they agreed to disagree, essentially, is the way that he puts it. Um, he was, and he says, look, they don't have any more authority than I do, even though, you know, if you believe the traditional account, 
they actually knew Jesus, walked around with Jesus. Mm -hmm. James, if you believe the traditional account, was his brother. Uh, and or maybe, um, well, no, Thomas was the twin. Um, but uh, Paul didn't really uh, get along with them. Now, according to Acts, they kind of made peace later on. And they said, okay, well, you go do you th your thing and we'll go do our thing. But the other thing that I find interesting is when you read, I think it's from Romans, um, right towards the end when Paul says, all right, I'm, I'm going to come to Rome to visit you. I'm doing this collection. I'm going to take it to the leaders in Jerusalem, and hopefully they will look favorably upon me for bringing them money. And what happens? Paul goes to Jerusalem to take the money to, we assume, James, yeah. and gets arrested. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, for, let's, for being let's, a troublemaker. let's deal with Galatians for a second. Because that's that's one of the major problems I, I had with with the documentary. Yeah, pull out your big pull out your big I'll, I'll uh oh okay. if, oh if you if you're gonna look it up, I'll look it up too. Perfect. That's perfect. Then I don't have to go to the stupid computer and switch screens and all that stuff. That is fantastic. Let me get so hard to find anything in this thing though. It's like million pages long. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was the one you slammed shut when you said there's no checklist for the Messiah in the, <laughs> which I disagree with. But anyway, yeah. well, <laughs> let's go to Galatians two. We can get into that. Yeah, let's go to Galatians two. Take a look real quick, because that again, that was that was one thing I really time. struggled with in the documentary was was your was your exegetical work. Okay, so look at if if you here's I think the summary verse verse nine. And, uh, and, and this is Paul speaking, of course. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me Barnabas the right hand, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we might go to the Gentiles as they to the circumcised. Now that sounds like a pretty amicable agreement. Sounds very reflective yep. of what we see in in Acts. Um, and what and yeah. what and what St. Paul got upset with Peter over, and he says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. For prior to coming, certain men from James, he used <clears throat> he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. All right. So Paul and James and, and Peter and John all agreed, okay, I'm gonna preach to the uncircumcised. And we've got this agreement that circumcision is no longer applicable in Christianity. But then when then when then when Peter came to Antioch, he kind of acted contrary to that agreement, and that that's Peter and Paul got upset with him over over that. And we we know that there was a conflict there, but I'm not sure the conflict goes, um, you know, too much beyond that, you know, verse 14, maybe, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, again, they'd all agreed on this. I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being like a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right. We agreed on this, Peter. What, what is it now that that's got you thrown off track? All right. Um, is, is really where, where I see St. Paul going with that. So I'm struggling to reach the conclusion you're reaching, which Paul kind of broke off from everybody else and started his own thing, and the, the apostles really didn't didn't like him. 
And then you bring up, um, I think what Romans 15 is where you're getting the idea of Paul bringing, I guess what you guys called in the film a bribe. Maybe just describe, describe that. Go ahead. Let's, well, let's go back a step. So before Paul came along were, uh, Peter and James and their community, uh, what were they doing with Gentiles? Well, it's the, I don't I don't know if we have any um, hard evidence of whether or not they were having them circumcised, et cetera, et cetera. There's not there's not a lot on. They were baptizing them, um, but for the most part, we have Peter preaching, and then after after Paul's conversion, it's all Paul and Acts, and then you've got the the Jerusalem Council. And that's that's a, I mean so there was there was a question among them hey do these guys need to get circumcised when they come okay. into the faith so so don't you think that uh, Jesus when he was with them would have given them instructions about what to do with the Gentiles um, that he might have I don't know but that's an argument from silence um, but I don't think that. We he necessary well. It seems clear that James and Peter agreed with Paul that Christians don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow. According the, to Paul, a, a, according to all three of them, they agreed to this. It's clear the, from we've got we've we've got nothing written by Peter and James to confirm that. All we have is Paul's version of the story. Okay, um, but 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 you're but now you're making an argument from silence to say that. To say that that James and James and Peter mistrusted Paul, you don't you don't you don't have any evidence of that either. Well, uh, we we can infer that Paul talks about super apostles. He talks about right, what does but he, he doesn't, say he here doesn't in Galatians? Name, he doesn't name James and Peter and John. False brethren. No, he doesn't. But somebody is yes. sending out. Somebody is sending out uh, preachers to Paul's communities, it's quite evident from Paul's epistles, telling them not to listen to Paul. Yep. Don't listen to what this guy is telling you. He's, he's, and Paul says something about them preaching a different Jesus or a different gospel. Yep. So who do you think is sending those people out to his communities? Who knows? You have no idea. You're making a giant No, we don't, but... You're making a giant well, who, leap to say that the, it was, You're making a huge leap options? to say that it was sent from We're Peter talking, James. We're talking about the 50s CE. Mm-hmm. Jesus has been dead for 20 years. Who else is it going to be if it's not the leaders in Jerusalem? Um, who knows? It doesn't say. Okay, it doesn't say. But and it's clear from we, Galatians we, that they had an, that Peter and James and Paul had an agreement that is, that is in accord with what we have recorded in Acts as well. Written by a member of Paul's community. Um. Well, yeah, St. Luke, who was his traveling companion. Okay. Yeah. But but you're, you're still making a so Paul huge says, leap to say that James and Peter were behind the scenes, despite all we have written about them agreeing on this. All we have, we have one thing from Paul's. Okay, but you've got nothing Paul's saying that Peter story. and James and, and Paul were in conflict. You don't, the only yeah. conflict they we're, had we're, was when Peter broke the agreement in Antioch. We know that before Paul came along and said, you know, Gentiles don't need to get circumcised, they don't need to follow the laws of Leviticus, this was obviously new information. 
they didn't really, they weren't doing this before Paul. And they had, you know, they had words with Paul. They about they, it. they they didn't have words. They summoned what? him. They sum they summoned him to Jerusalem to make right, an account so of what he was doing. They no, they summoned him so they could work. There was this question. There was this open question among all of them. And 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 they all got together and said, and James was the leader on this, according to Acts. James said, How are we going to put a burden on these people that we and our fathers couldn't even follow ourselves? That's what James says in Acts, right? Circumcision? That's exact that was the subject of the Jerusalem Council. Jews weren't getting circumcised? No, we're talking about Gentile converts to Christianity. Hmm. That's what they were discussing hmm. at the Jerusalem Council, according to Acts. Yeah. <clears throat> James James takes the lead on that and says, yeah. no, circumcision is, we're not, no. He said, he, well, let's just go through it. Um, well, so let's see, Acts. But you've got to keep in mind too, Matthew, again, this is written by a member of Paul's Gentile community. Right, but you're, you're presuming a motive on St. Luke that, that he that's wants what to make Paul look good. Yes, and this is what, as historians, we try and do. Okay, no, we look at the no, it's not. You we, don't, we look you at don't, you, we look we look at the evidence, and then we try to infer what's going on. That's all we can do, right? Yeah, but it you're says, inferring one thing. No, you're inferring no, one I'm not, thing. I'm not inferring anything. The text is telling me what's going on. And you're referring you're inferring that the text is authentic and legitimate and telling the truth. Okay, so I'm I'm suggesting I'm suggesting that. Members of Paul's Gentile community had an agenda to legitimize themselves. And again, Luke is written or Acts is written after the fall, after the destruction of the temple, after the Jews have been to a large degree wiped out. Their persona non grata in the Roman Empire to a large extent after the fall of the temple in the late 60s. Christianity is going through a period there where it's trying to deliberately separate itself from Judaism because Judaism is on the nose. And, and fortunately for them, all of the original Jewish Jesus followers, the Peter community and the James community, etc., are either dead or dispersed and don't get a say in any of this of what's going on. So what I'm suggesting is that it's... Uh, a little bit hard to take seriously anything that's written by a member of Paul's community when it seems to justify Paul's actions and Paul's uh, vision for this new religion that he was creating. Right. Well, again, you're presuming a motive without without any evidence. Well, the evidence is what's written. It's the, the, reading between the lines of what's in Acts, right, what's in Paul's to, okay, epistles. Okay. All right. So you're, you're reading between the lines and getting that there was this big, really, really what was going on was there's this big conflict between the Jew, what, you know, the Jewish community and what St. Paul was trying to do and really Paul's writings and, and his, and his followers were, were all written to cover that up. So there was a conspiracy to cover up the conflict between the Jews and, and Paul's Christians yeah, I wouldn't um, call it a conspiracy. It's just it's just whitewashing. I mean, they're they're no, it their version of the story. Have, somebody would have had it got together and said, "Hey, we've we've got to smooth this over. We've got to come up with a with a with a thing that looks like we're all kind of we were all kind of together when we really weren't." 
Um, well, it's just one, you know, it's uh, Mark starts it. Mark starts writing the first gospel. Matthew and Luke, again, this is mainstream consensus scholarship, mostly copy off of Mark and then copy maybe off of each other, off of the Q source. So they're, they're, they're building the uh, narrative for their communities. But as I said before, Paul is very clear in his epistles that there are people going around telling his communities not to listen to him. In fact, you know, the, the vast majority of his epistles that have survived are basically him trying to convince his communities why they should listen to him and not the other guys that are coming and telling them something different. So we, so the question is, and it's a big question, you can't brush this under the rug, who were these guys? What were they telling Paul's communities? Why did they seem to have so much authority that Paul's communities were listening to them and Paul felt the constant need to step in and go, wait, 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 wait. No, I was just there. I was just there like uh, a month ago and we were all good. And now all I, I hear that you're doing all of this other stuff. That's not cool. Right. Well, this is going on. There's this, there's, there's conflict in Paul's communities where somebody, and I think it's again, getting back to Occam's razor, who was sending out these preachers to tell Paul's communities not to listen to Paul. It seems obvious that it's somebody from the upper echelons of Jerusalem. If not, who? Well, it, yeah, it, that's the question: is who? Who are these super apostles? Who's the circumcision party? Who and who's in charge of these? I mean, it seems obvious from to me from Galatians two that that Peter is not in cahoots with the circumcision party. He he's not secretly behind the scenes pulling their strings. Um, and and it seems clear to me also that Saint Paul has no problem calling out Peter um, when he's in the wrong. So in Corinthians, for instance, when he's talking about the super apostles, he would have had no problem saying, hey, James and Peter have gone, they've gone off the rails and they're sending out these guys and you need to stop listening. Now, if you had that, I would say, okay, yeah, there was a big, they, 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 they agreed and then now they're disagreeing and now there's this big battle between the two factions of Christianity. But so I, who are the... He's not explicit about that, but he's right. talking about super apostles. He says, you know, these guys have no more authority than I do. Um, so obviously his communities think they do have more authority than he does. Why would they think that? Well, they were. These are the questions that we need to answer. Well, I, but, but. Or speculate but on. Can't, but you can't. You can't. You well, why can't we? That's what we have to do. What else are we going to do? Well, we have to speculate on what was going on. Right. Well, okay. Even if you're going to go to the realm of speculation, which I'm again, I'm probably a little more conservative in my in my history historiography than than, than you're being. Um, <clears throat> even if you're going to go to the, the realm of speculation, I don't think you can pin this on a conflict between James and Peter and Paul. There's there's another faction led by somebody. Now the ways who who, who knows? You don't know. <laughs> I think it's clear. We don't know, and you. You could be right, but again, getting back to Occam's Razor, which you brought up earlier, you're inventing a whole new faction. We know of two factions. No, no, I'm not inventing we a know whole of new faction. St. Paul mentions the faction. It's the super apostles, whoever these people are. Um, well, they're, if they're not, doesn't that sound like the people that actually knew Jesus? Wouldn't you call them the super apostles? No, they because, were the guys no, that were because we there have and walked we, around with him? Because we have the evidence that um, that Peter, Peter and James weren't a part of this. No, right. you don't. You don't have the evidence of that. You're inferring that from Paul saying we shook hands and it was all good. 
Yeah, but but you have but you have nothing to show that they didn't shake hands and it wasn't wasn't good. No, but this is the thing. So this is this is the thing. What the thing I find fascinating about this period is we don't have enough information to really know what happened. So all we can do is try and infer from what we have about what might have been going on. I don't have definitive evidence that Peter and James were behind this other community. You don't have definitive evidence that they weren't. All we can do is say, well, what seems like a realistic scenario here? To me, the most realistic, and you obviously disagree, and that's fine, but to me the most realistic scenario here is Peter and James were sending people out from time to time to Paul's community saying, don't listen to this guy. He's a fruitcake. He's just making shit up. He didn't even know Jesus. We knew Jesus. This guy didn't even know Jesus. We don't know what's going on with him. But if you want to be part of our community, you need to do these things. Jesus was a Jew. We're Jews. This is a Jewish thing for Jews. Don't listen to this guy. That seems to be the easiest reading of this for me. But, you know, you feel free to disagree. Well, I, I, well I'm not disagreeing with you, the, the, the text. And by the way. And by the way, this isn't my view. That's the point of the film. This is why I had half a, a dozen PhD-level New Testament scholars right. in the film, biblical scholars. This is the view of mainstream biblical scholarship. This isn't my view. I'm not a biblical scholar. Uh, you've got way more training than I do. I'm not a scholar. I just interviewed the scholars about what's the view of mainstream scholarship. Right. Well, and yeah. That's I, the view I, I of would... Bart Ehrman, too, by the way. Yeah. Bart wouldn't disagree with any of that. <clears throat> I'm not sure. Um yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure he would he would put put so much emphasis on you know th- this this is Paul's version of Christianity and Paul kind of created this out of yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh because again Again, I didn't say Paul created it out of thin air. Well, no, I'm not Paul's saying thin air. I'm, I'm saying his version inheriting of it is the one, something. His his version is uh, is, is the one that that prevailed, okay? Um, in, in from from your perspective, um, but again, because as we explain in the film, it wasn't working with Jews. Jews weren't buying the story because it didn't make any sense to a Jew, well, whatever the story was. And again, we don't even know what the story they were teaching was. Well, now time really. out. So it, it was obviously working with with Jews because all of Romans was written to Jews. The Christians no, in Rome were Jews. It was, well, it was written to a small community of Jesus followers in Rome, yeah. Who were Jews. Yeah, they would have been <laughs> Jews or Gentile Jews. We, I mean, if Paul's writing to them, they're probably part of his Gentile community. He's right. probably See, not it, writing to right. Matthew well, and James' okay, so community, that's, right? Okay, right. So that that's where I, yeah, I'm... Um, He's writing to his communities, not to the Peter and James communities. Well... Who were probably focused around Jerusalem. They They weren't you know, walking, they weren't going around and uh, opening new communities in places like Rome. As far as we know, we have no evidence of that. We don't know who started the community in Rome, but yeah, I'm well, assuming it's one of one of Paul's community because he's writing to them with some level of authority. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so, and again, we don't, we don't have any evidence that. If, that oh, that, sorry. Of that, what? Well, that, that Peter and James, were were these super apostles or part of secretly a part of the see that that's where it gets that's where it gets you know kind of kind of woo woo wonky conspiracy theory is that well what seems evident from the New Testament 
that James and Peter and Paul came to an agreed that circumcision wasn't required for Christian con- for Gentile converts, uh, but secretly behind the scenes, James and John were running these super apostles, and because who else would it have been? Yeah, that that sounds conspiracy theory type stuff to me. <laughs> Doesn't you know? Because well, who else would it have been? Is the question it, you don't nobody knows it. What Paul? How Paul okay. describes them? How Paul describes them in Corinthians is. The reason they were called super apostles is because they were slick-tongued. They were good-looking. They spoke well. And evidently, Paul was diminutive of stature. He might not have been a very good preacher. He might have stumbled over his words. And these guys were slick. And, you know, they were they were coming in. And, and, and really, the conflict there wasn't so much about their, um, about their teaching, uh, but that... Uh, but they were trying. But they were trying to compete with Paul for the for the con- uh, Christian conversion market, as it were. Um, and- now he actually says that they're preaching another Jesus, and he mentions uh, an Apollos too. We don't know who Apollos okay, is. Okay, so well, there, maybe but, there's okay, but so yeah, there is a faction that's teaching something different to Paul, and they're very apparently good at what they're doing. They're very convincing. Mm-hmm. The question is, who are these people and why are they so convincing? And what are they teaching? Obviously, there is something different. Right. 20 years after Jesus died, mm-hmm. there is something very different being taught about Jesus right. that conflicts with Paul's teaching. Yeah. We don't know what that is. I'm assuming it came out of Peter and James's community, but it could have been something else. You're right. We don't know. Right. But it was there and it was a big enough deal that Paul had to talk about it constantly. Yeah, well, and, and I'm yeah, I'm not sure what what where the weight of Paul really discussing these other factions. I mean, you've got it in Galatians for sure, you've got some of it in Corinthians, <clears throat> but um, but but the rest of Paul's epistles are just Tim, just didactic teaching for the most part. Um, those you know, while they're thematic of some books, even even Galatians, you have that piece, but but. St. Paul's trying to set that up to talk about how this is, you know, this is the gospel, not that. Okay, so so anyway, I but but you could see you you would agree that it's a possibility that J- James and Peter were not behind the super apostles or the circumcision party. It's a possibility. Sure. Okay. Everything's a possibility. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, and I've got. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm failing to to follow your. Your your ex Jesus here now you you mentioned um, Romans I, I think you're talking about when in the documentary you're talking about this bribe idea um, yeah. and you, you're pulling that from Romans 15 I'm guessing I, I don't remember the verse man okay. but uh, well that's what, yeah, I'm just me. trying to well I think one of the one of the guys in the in the film mentioned Romans and I thought okay well let's see. The only thing I know in Romans where they talk about. I'll look it up. Yeah, it's the collection. Um, yeah, start Romans fifteen twenty two. Uh, now I'm going. Uh, uh, actually, twenty five. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. Have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now you're going to say, "Well, this is Saint Paul writing, so we can't we can't really trust it." What we have to do is mistrust it and say it wasn't really money for the poor. It was a bribe to James and John. 
That's what that's what well, the I think, claims. I think uh, the view of one of the views of modern scholarship, anyway, is that the poor is the name of James's community. They, they because they were poor, they call themselves the poor, and this is where, you know, it, uh, I think in in Acts, uh, Luke talks about how they would they were like proto communists. They would share everything that they had. Uh, you know, they they didn't have any assets for themselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They were a, you know, basically a socialist uh, community. The, and then the um, uh, what was the the guys that came later? Um, the Marcionites and the Ebionites. Mm-hmm. The Ebionites called themselves the people of the poor as well. So there's a suggestion in scholarship that they may have been the surviving remnants of James's community. But, yeah, I think that's what the suggestion is when he says the poor. He okay. means James's community. So so even even there, I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard for me to track the logical steps to say, okay, even if, even if this was James's community, this seems like an act of charity towards James's community. If they are indeed, you know, struggling financially with material goods and that sort of thing. Um, and Paul can make these collections. Hey, let's help out. Let's help out James here. He's his, his church is struggling. And and you get that from St. James's epistle as well, that his, you know, because that's one of his main themes in his epistle is that he's got people acting better than the you know, better than the poor people in his community. He's got rich, he's got evidently got some well-off people. He's got some really poor people and he's got these rich people, you know, in one of, you know, one of the verses is, and I'm paraphrasing is, you know, if a brother or sister comes to you and is cold and hungry and you say, you know, be warm and well-fed, um, then, you know, what good have you done? Right. This, you know, so this, so I don't, I don't know if scholars are getting the idea that James had a poor community from there. I don't know. Um, but but I but again I'm I'm well Christianity was very much it seems to be anyway in, in the early <laughs> stages a religion of the lower classes mm-hmm. the uh, the poor the destitute because again it offered them something that you know basically they weren't going to get uh, in in life they were right. being told it seems at least. If we uh, take Paul and the Gospels, that the world's going to come to an end any day now, um, and when it, if you're on the one of the faithful, when the end of times comes, you're going to go to eternity and paradise and that kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter if you have nothing right now and your life is sucks, you know, it's brutal. Uh, it doesn't matter because the end of times is coming any day now, and you'll be you'll be all fine. Mm-hmm. Very attractive to the poor. More maybe than the rich at the time. Right. Well, although there were yeah. obviously some well-off members of the community as well. Okay, so there we go. There is part one of my interview with Cameron Riley, creator of the documentary from Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime right now, called "Marketing the Messiah." Thanks for tuning in this week. Tune in next week. We'll have part two. Maybe we'll have a part three. We'll see. Uh, we've got quite a bit of material here. Again, Cameron was very generous with his time. And we appreciate that. In the meantime, go donate Go donate to the Men of Steel project at laymanstermsradio.org. We'll see you next week.